Hey everyone, you're listening to the Sustainable Burrito, an LCC Green Team podcast where we explore environmental issues one bite at a time. I'm Savini. I'm Edward. And I'm Marika. Hi. The halls of Lower Canada College are quiet. It's the holiday season with everyone at home. The Green Team would like to share an interview they did with Matt Cundall, class of 1987, all about the Green Team initiatives at Lower Canada College. Stay subscribed for more episodes to come in January. And if you have a moment, tell your friends about the show. Happy New Year. Have you ever thought about your green plan? I know. It sounds like I'm giving you an assignment or it's some sort of self-help thing. But being green is as much about awareness or behavior as much as it is politics and business strategy. In the 1980s, environmental issues were very much political. Canada had acid rain to contend with. In 1981, Pierre Trudeau seemed a little embarrassed that some people came to Parliament Hill to tell Ronald Reagan to stop sending acid rain to Canada. By the end of the 80s, Brian Mulroney's Conservatives legislated acid rain away. Over the next few decades, Conservatives lost their way with the environment, and the Green Party took over. Oh, and going back to that 1981 visit, Ronald Reagan had some pretty bold ideas to share in his address to Parliament. Our governments have already discussed one of the largest joint private projects ever undertaken by two nations, the pipeline to bring Alaskan gas to the continental United States. We strongly favor prompt completion of this project based on private finance. So you see, in some ways, it's still 1981. I spent most of the 1980s at Montreal's Lower Canada College. We were a little less worried about the environment and more concerned about the Cold War and the possibility that it could all end in a nuclear catastrophe. But today, the student body at LCC is thinking green. And three students... Savini, Marika, and Edouard have started a podcast called The Sustainable Burrito, which discusses environmental issues in the school, the community, and around the world. You can connect to the podcast, by the way, in the show notes of this episode or over on the website at hotairpodcast.com. Savini, Marika, and Edouard join me from their homes in Montreal to talk about the LCC Green Team and their podcast. And the first question goes to Savini. Why a green team for Lower Canada College? I think like the environment is something that we should all be caring about and like having a green team at school really just, it just enables us to like actually learn so much more about the environment and really engage in like, um, and like take initiatives about like around school as students. It shows that even like students can make a difference that we can actually make have our own initiatives and um, do actual good, meaningful work. Marika, what concerns do you have for the environment as we approach 2021? So it's difficult to kind of pinpoint one. Sometimes these things are also so unexpected. Like I think that, for example, the the COVID pandemic can in some ways also be related back to um, all these issues that we talk about, like sustainability. And in, in many ways, it can come so unexpectedly like the COVID pandemic. I mean, who would have thought like a year ago that we would be sitting here now all distance. I don't know. I think that I've been thinking about a lot are definitely like fires, like the wildfires that have been happening, you know, in California, in BC. So that's definitely something that is, has been in the, in the front of my mind. There's so much. I, I don't really know. Edouard, when you first decided you were going to go to Lower Canada College, did you know that you would be a part of a green team or any sort of environmental um, group? 
It's a very good question. I actually joined the school when I was in kindergarten. Um, I did not. I just saw the big kids and thought it was really cool that they were big kids and I was not a big kid. Um, and now I am a big kid and I'm part of the uh, environment. I must say though that I have been a part of the green team uh, since grade seven. So I'm about, about in my entry in, in high school. Uh, I, I never, um, I must say that it was quite different back then. I mean, especially as a, as a middle school um, student, you don't really, you see you're kind of more intimidated than everything else. And you're sort of kind of scared. And But um I'm just trying to sort of get get integrated, uh, but no, I would never have imagined that uh, that I would that, that I would be where I am right now. So you're an LCC lifer per se. You were there at quite a a young age. What did some of the people in the older grades do for environmental issues? That's a very good question, and I guess that it's it's mainly that I sort of just saw them doing their presentations. As when when the way LCC works is that uh, younger children, uh, like and that I mean the, in the elementary school, don't really see what the older students are up to. But there used to be branches of the green team that would interact with us, and I mainly saw them sort of. I wouldn't. I don't think they had a podcast up back then, but but they did sort of have these. They just sort of make these presentations, and and I and I like hearing them. And I thought it was. And we had some stuff about the monarchs, and 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 us, you know, a young child, you see monarchs, and you're like, oh, that's pretty cool, and it would be if they were all to go away so um so i guess that's what sort of made me kind of drawn towards the fact that we can definitely the the best way to make a change is sort of to, to tell people about the problems that we we think are, are important so morika i see you sort of nodding along and agreeing with that has that been your experience as well as you've gone through the school i have not been at lcc for a long time so my experience has been very different from that of edwards i joined halfway through grade nine so i've been here for almost exactly two years. But when I came to LCC, I, I come from Europe. So I, I used to go to school in France before. And the culture in Europe concerning clubs and those things is very different. So you basically don't have any clubs at your schools. Or if you do, they're very small and more like, you know, meeting up during lunch to play games or like those kinds of things. I, I hadn't really ever thought about what kind of clubs I would join if that existed. Green Team was one of the first clubs I joined, but I would say that I was not as passionate as I am now when I, like back then. And I think it was really through, um, you know, meeting Savani and Edward and kind of talking to them that we pushed our, like each other towards caring more and more about the environment. And we learned from each other and had those conversations. You'd be the perfect person to ask about Europe and attitudes about the environment in Europe and in school. So what's been the experience between France and, and North America? In Europe, or at least in France, it was definitely more like a thing that was very generally accepted, that the environment was something that we should care about and that everyone should do their part to create the best for the world in the future. I would say that because it was more of like a general understanding, I, I at least found that there was less direct action like for example there was no green team there was no yeah no no clubs that were trying to change stuff but i must say since i left that school they have started doing those things too so they have started up their own sustainability club and yeah i think those things are kind of starting now like the club side of taking action Savani, how far back does your experience in in school and, and environmental groups go well, I joined LCC in grade 10 last year, and I was pretty much like fired up and ready to go. I'd already known that there was a club called like the Green Team here at Lower Canada College. So I was already planning on joining and I'd already, um, Marika was my mentor before I joined. So she'd also informed me about them. And 
like the moment I joined, uh, I was already planning on how to like participate in like the climate march, which happened in like September last year. It was a really big event in Montreal here and really happy that we did get to go. I've always been really interested in like issues concerning the environment. Like when I was younger, I guess, you know, like animal rights and deforestation, you know, now that I've grown a little bit older and gained more knowledge about these topics, this really realized how important it is to raise awareness about them and climate change since then. I think for at least Savini and I, that climate march was really, really something that kind of got us going because it was such a huge event and just seeing all of those people like in the streets of, of Montreal advocating for the same things that we were thinking about was like such an amazing experience. And that really kind of, for at least for me, it really started like my passion. Did you miss school? No, we got, we got school to close. That was a thing. Yeah. We got like school to close. Advocated. Yeah. You had to lobby to make that happen. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, yeah. we collected, we basically collected um, signatures from like grade 10 and 11 students, if I remember correctly, or nine, 10, 11 students. And then, because so many people basically signed that they were going to go, the school decided to give us the afternoon off. So that was really cool. Edouard, there's so much that goes on within the school. Um, and I want you just to talk a little bit about this. And I've put a video that you, that you voiced uh, up on the website. And it's all about sort of the sustainable lunch and a way to, have, you know, to reduce plastics and reduce waste. It's a low-waste lunch. Tell me a little bit about that initiative. Yeah, I think that initiative, that was when we started back in the old days where we actually went to school in person. Um, and that was, if I remember correctly, that was um, a, a brief period. But I know that like ever since then, the school has always focused on having zero-waste lunch. And I think it's more than just an initiative. It's really just something that the school's been doing where everything is composted. And in theory, that was, once again, before all everything changed, uh, there was no plastic whatsoever that was being used in the cafeteria. I think it was like, I'm sure that there was involvement with the green team, but that wasn't so much uh, us, I don't think. That must have been our predecessors. It was quite something to just know that there were no garbage cans in the cafeteria. And it was really just, we had the compost, we had, they prioritized communal uh, butter stations, which I suppose to these days aren't so prioritized anymore. But back then they were, so they were, there were some, uh, and they sort of just really encouraged the fact that we should make sure that there's no reason why in a cafeteria we should have anything that cannot be, that cannot be sort of uh, biodegraded, that cannot, that, and that has to be thrown out in landfill. By the way, the most environmental things I did in the 80s was watch REM videos on Much Music, listen to The Pretenders on Shelm, and listen to The Fix on a cassette on a boombox. Okay, that's enough flashback. Where was I? What are some of the other things that if I walked around the school that I would be very surprised to see that have to do with uh, the environment or environmental progress? Well, you know, sometimes I wonder if it's being surprised to see or being surprised not to see. I'm sure that like the fact that yeah, there are recycling bins now everywhere. And if there weren't, I'd be sort of like, why? Like, I don't see that as a change because I've, I've grown up just been like, you know, you put the paper in the recycling bin. But I think that one of the huge changes that our school has brought upon themselves, if I'm Correct. It was in 2015 where they renovated um, uh, the. There's, there's. They essentially built a new building and they're prioritizing uh, geo geothermal heating, um, and that was a big thing. Those are some of the types of things that you don't see. So I think that it's also it reminds us that some of the most sustainable initiatives that that exists are are, are those that that you don't see. And there's also their solar panels on top of that building or on top of the building in front of it. I think as well. Um, and, and you know all these changes. I think that that there are some buildings that are LEED certified. 
elite is an environmental standard. Um, and, and once again, just in terms of the architecture and just the way you operate, uh, you don't see that, but it definitely makes a difference. Savini, I can see you're itching to chime in. Currently, right now, I'm aware that the um, we are getting like ready-made lunches, and I'm and I know that like a large component of those lunches is completely compostable as well. So we really do take into account like just how much like waste we can reduce and how much it's possible to do that. And yeah, I know you've done an episode on the electric car, Marika. Why should I buy an electric car? I'm afraid. Why are you afraid? I'm afraid to run out of electricity. <laughs> I've never seen a, a, an electricity stop. Oh, okay. I see. So we talked We talked about this in the podcast too, with this entire issue is that there might not be enough, you know, chargers around the country. And I mean, I guess it depends on what you want to use that car for. If you're just going to use it to drive within like Montreal or like Toronto, there are chargers. Like once you pay attention to them, you will see them. We have ones like on the street of our school. I mean, of course, if you drive hours every day to <laughs> to go out into the countryside and there's no person inside for hours and hours, then there's there might be a chance that you won't have enough. But then there's also like options like hybrid cars, which allow you to have like that renewable energy combined with the security, I guess, from have from still having gas. There's options for everyone. Whatever you need is, you will you will find something. I just want to chime in and say that the most sustainable-ish way to buy a car is to buy a second-hand and like, um, well-maintained car because most of the emissions are actually produced in the making of the car itself. So if you're looking to buy one and be like, very eco-friendly and sustainable, then go for that option. And if I may add also, my household has gone recently uh, all electric cars and we are surviving. We, we are okay. Um, and, I, and I say okay, but I say that sarcastically. Um, one of the main advantages of electric cars is that you charge them at home, right? So uh, you might sort of, and it's something that this is sort of a different mentality than than having uh, when, when you don't have an electric car. But like it's sort of like if you had your phone and you were like, well, what if my phone runs out of power in the middle of the day? Like maybe, and that's a problem and you're going to have to find a place to charge it, but it probably won't because you've been charging it at home overnight. Edouard, tell me a little bit about your parents because you wouldn't have like 100% influence over the purchase of that vehicle. You would have some influence, but obviously care for the environment is something that your parents have passed down to you. I suppose so. My father happens to work in the environment. It's, it's a government program that uh, looks at how uh, to make houses more sustainable. Um, so he's always sort of thought about electric cars. And I must say that uh, everyone was sort of, I think it's something that everyone sort of thinks about, like, what if I run out of power, right? What if what if it's just not convenient for me to have that? Um, and yes, I, I'm not the one who influenced that in any way. Um, but but he sort of thought that, you know, he might, and it really, I think it comes down to being like, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to see. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I'll just, I'm, I'll get rid of it. And, and if it doesn't, that's why we leased the, we, uh, he leased the first car. And, and, and we've kept doing it ever since. So I say, I think that it really, we also, we, when my mother was looking to buy a car, she rented a lot of cars before deciding on the model she wanted to buy. Like, it's okay to experiment and it's okay to tell yourself, I don't think I'm ready for this. It doesn't make you a bad person. And if you try it and, and you like it, then, then by all means, I think it, you ought to go for it because you're definitely not going to regret it. Marika, are you are you sort of dealing with the green team from from two perspectives? One, the stuff that you can do in the school, but you also have to send a message home with everybody about the things that you can do. Because so far, I've heard car, I've heard about you know the solar panels you can put in the house. Are you messaging the LCC community with home messages as well? I definitely, I think so. I mean. While, like, us children, we can do certain things, in the end, we do not have the same amount of power adults have. Like, we will never be able 
I mean, not never, but right now we are not able to vote. We, we don't have access to a lot of money, so we can't really um, influence the market in any way. So basically, I, I think that while it's important for, you know, all of us children to be aware and stuff, it's it's also something that adults should be aware of. And that's also one of the reasons why I think we started this podcast, because this is something that would hopefully reach a wider audience, not just other students at LCC. Have you reached out to any politicians at all to let them know you're coming, that you're going to turn 18 and they're going to need your vote? Um, so with politicians, I have definitely thought about it. And I've also been looking a little bit at what um, Climate Strike Canada is doing. So um, they're like a, a, an organization. Basically, Climate Strike Canada is like a combination of all of the little climate organizers from all across Canada. So it's like all of those little grassroots groups combined together into Climate Strike Canada. And then they, um, as a larger group, makes it, make decisions. And I know that like some of the individual groups in Climate Strike Canada and like Climate Strike Canada themselves have definitely like talked to different politicians um, about what what they want the future of Canada to look like. And I think it's something that might be in the future of Green Team. I would I would definitely hope so. Savini? Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that. I think that, you know, even like with like collaboration, like larger collaboration, even amongst like schools and like the same area as LCC, we can like, if we do come together and like make specific requests about like any sort of politician about like perhaps improving recycling for all of these schools and all of us together and, we could really like make a difference. Is there a politician you would like to reach out to? Almost definitely. There are quite a few. <laughs> um, uh, and if a politician is listening to this, then be aware that you're eventually going to come here, I'm sure. But um, uh, the school has been in contact with, and in previous years has been kind of in contact with Thomas Mulcair, um, given uh, his, the NDP support of the NEP uh, in the 1980s. Uh, that would be definitely something we'd love to, uh, to talk about. Um, and and uh, the current uh, politicians, I must say that I'm not too familiar with, um, but we would definitely like to reach out. Um, those are pretty large goals for us, though. We're still we're kind of building up our um, our base, but we'd definitely love to speak to everyone who might have an opinion on the subject and might be able to talk about how we can have an, uh, we can make a difference. What's going to be the biggest way you can make a change? Is it going to be through politics? Is it going to be through journalism? Uh, and that, of course, includes podcasting. What are some of the ways you're going to be considering to to make these changes? I have definitely been looking into going um, into like environmental sciences or environmental engineering at university. So that's something that's really interesting to me, um, kind of finding the solution to all of these problems. And while like a lot of the solutions are already out there. And so it's going to be a combination between improving those and making them accessible to everyone. And then also, of course, like the politics side of actually implementing them, because oftentimes we actually have the solution already and it just it just takes that step from the government and, of course, the money to, to actually like implement them. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going along a similar direction. I think I've really taken an interest in like environmental economics and just like, you know, that whole social science side of like environment and how to improve it from like that side. And yeah, that's definitely something I'm probably going to be studying uh, in the future in university and things like that, too. So. Well, you made me feel very good, by the way, about my car purchase because I did purchase a secondhand vehicle. 
And I meant that that kind of leads into the, the fact that there seems to be a lot of concern as to whether or not um, it is individual power or um, the power of large corporations that will truly bring upon environmental change in the long run. And I think recent events have made it considerably evident that it is probably in a large industry uh, that ultimately makes the difference. But the thing is that large industry exists only if and only so long as people actually purchase from them. So the biggest way to make a change in the future is the same one as it is right now, and it is to just know your values, to tell yourself, um, I will not purchase things that violate X, Y, and Z uh, laws, whether it even be with the environment or just with uh, with other uh, problems, because once again, there are lots of other issues that surround the planet. It isn't really thinking about how will I spend my money and how will I do that in a way that that I'm encouraging the companies, because when we buy it, we also encourage the company to survive. We're encouraging their practices. So we tell ourselves, this is who we want um, to live, and this is who we want to lead the world in the future, whether it be private or public industry. I just want to add on to that, like why I think it's important. I mean, we talk about this a lot. I think this is like the, one of the main things that we've been thinking about this year. I, I really think while it's important to kind of look at yourself, it's also, it's also like not healthy to blame yourself for everything. Because in the end, you just you just live in the system. Sometimes certain things we just we just can't do, and feeling bad about them is not going to help as much as kind of just accepting that in this specific area you won't be able to do anything, and then moving on and maybe focusing your attention to different areas. Mm-hmm. Also, like acknowledging the privilege that we have that we ourselves are able to take those sustainable actions, and you know, spend a little bit more money on like perhaps the more eco-friendly product and like, you know, being able to say no to certain things and try and live a more eco-friendly lives. Yes. Like taking, taking action is such a privilege. Like this is not something everyone can do. And that's so important to keep in mind. Like you should, I, I, yeah, we should never kind of blame anyone for mm-hmm. not taking action. They have their own personal reasons for maybe why they're not able to. But I think that you don't have to be a perfectly eco-friendly person to join the movement or like, you know, know everything about climate change and the environment to join this movement against and to like demand for like a better future for everyone. That's not a necessity. I mean, it's, it's cultural change. And I'd been at the front of, of this, but it was by accident. And I just want to tell you a very boring story, uh, which will not make the podcast, by the way, there's a politician. He's kept calling me every day and he kept saying, you run a radio station. We need to change the language. And I said, what, what, what do we need to change? Because we have to stop calling it garbage day and you've got to start calling it recycle day. I can't believe we even got people to call it recycle day. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> but, thanks to you. Thanks to you because the power of the radio. Thanks to you. Ra- radio is incredibly powerful. Yes, it is. As the story goes, Don Woodstock convinced me to get on board and spearhead a campaign to get Winnipeg City Hall to change the name of garbage day to recycle day. The move seemed reasonable. And it wasn't going to cost the radio station anything, which impressed my bosses and was in step with our listeners. We even convinced garbagemen that the words recycle professional goes a lot further on a resume than garbage collector. But I digress. Don was a guest on this podcast, and here is the one environmental-related clip that appeared on that show. Yeah, like I'm a strong environmentalist, as you know, and one of the things that I said I would do is ban straws and ban plastic bags. The minute I get elected, um, listen, it's going out the window, guys. End of story. It's not even up for debate. Don Woodstock finished fourth in the 2018 Winnipeg mayoral election. Anyhow, I've interrupted Edouard. As he was saying, 
I think that the fact that we are um, like that we're able to think about this, that we're able to sit back and wonder hmm, what's what's our impact on, on the environment, how can we change ourselves, is a bit of a testament to how. Uh, to how good everything is in a certain way. The fact that we can, I know that a lot of, there has been discussion about uh, nervousness relating to climate change and some people sort of feeling as though, feeling anxiety related to that. Well, I assure you that I don't I don't see why you should because the fact that we're able to sit back and, and think about these types of problems shows how evolved we are as a society and to the point where we can even think about not how we're impacting other humans, but how we're impacting the planet, which does, of course, end up impacting other humans. But it's, it's a lot of empathy that, that I don't think all civilizations throughout the course of history and even today can can muster. And so it's great that we're able to do that right now. I want to talk a little bit about your post-secondary education. I don't mean to, to make you all tense about the future and, and where you're going and what you're doing, but what would the environment, what role would the environment have in the decision on where you go to post-secondary school? I don't really know yet. Like, I feel like either I will go in completely in that direction and I will do something related to the environment or maybe not. But I think it's more about the fact that is always going to be one of the main things I will think of whatever I do in the future. Because as you were just telling, now you have to put it into the podcast, as you were just telling us in your little story, like you do, you are a podcaster. So probably when you started this, you weren't thinking about the environment, but then in the end, you you did make a little change. I feel like you don't have to be, your job doesn't necessarily have to relate to the environment. Whatever you do, you can, you can make a change and kind of have that, kind of always think about the environment with whatever decisions you make for me it's probably going to be like putting myself directly in the middle of like where the worst impacts are felt and trying to make a change there because i'm from india and like just thinking about ways to like and india is going to be like is already being like severely impacted by climate change i don't know if that's going to be the case but i do feel like sometimes that i really do want to make a difference there the way I see it, wherever I'll go, if there is environment, if there are environmental options available, then great. If not, there will be. <laughs> so I think that it's it's about not only choosing environments, but if we like something about an environment, or and when I say environment, I mean a place we want to go, uh, and it so happens that there's no environment or the environment is not sufficiently addressed, then we can make that become a thing. Why is it called the sustainable burrito? There's like a little story behind it. We were thinking about names. We we're looking at this random name generator. The words eco-friendly burrito, I think something along those lines like popped up and we kind of got obsessed with like the burrito part. So we named it the sustainable burrito, but then we gave it a deeper meaning by saying that we're offering you bites of information about the environment. Yeah, that's how the name came around and we're, and we're in love with it now. What's the podcast experience been like for you all? I've had lots of fun. I think it's. I think it, it's been. It's been very enjoyable. I think I'm someone who likes speaking, and the fact that I get to make people listen to me is always nice. Um, I think that that's definitely an asset in this particular in this particular field of study, if I may call it that way. But I think that it's been a great experience to sort of also think about these problems uh, and sort of think that like feel like, and I don't want to say feel because it's not only a feeling; it's an actual action. But to, to, to know that we are making a change and that we are sort of. Uh, contributing to that uh, environmental stage, if I, may, uh, if I may address it that way. The best changes we make are those that align themselves with our values. I think for me, what has been the best part of it, about this experience, to be able to meet so many great people already, and I know there's we have, we have a list of guests, and it looks amazing, and I'm so excited to talk to all of them, and just listening to all of their stories and different ways that they have made change is just really incredible. 
I agree, though. I think that, like, you know, considering that we kind of started this as, like, just a way to be able to communicate with the students about what Green Team was doing, and that it's kind of, like, spiraled on to, like, become a larger, like, platform to be able to communicate what we think and what we wish we could do and stuff like that. I think I think it's great. Well, congratulations to all of you. You've done a fantastic job getting us out there, and you've turned my head and made me think in different ways about the environment. So it's already working. Thank you for having us, Matt. Yeah, that was really great. The Sound Off Media Company is proud to donate our time and resources to make this show happen. Now and in the years to come. And that's a wrap, literally. Thank you so much for having listened to this episode of The Sustainable Burrito. For more information, please check the notes of this podcast. Find us online on the LCC website. Have a great rest of your day and remember to stay green, everyone. 